on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on www.ckut.ca on the World Wide Web. News, interviews, and music featuring the voices of prisoners, their allies, and supporters. Tune in to the Prison Radio Show on the fourth Friday of every month between 11 a.m. and noon or on the second Thursday of every month between 5 and 6 p.m. To get involved in Prison Radio or finding help searching for past programs, email prison at cqt.ca. job, Harvey, to give a man back the dignity he once had. Your only interest is in how he behaves. You'll conform to our ideas of how you should behave. I am not an empire. I am a free man. Do you want to be a human? I wasn't Jim Crow, and hell, I was number 586. It's a good job. Responsible job. Uh, officers like myself trying to... Scum. We're only in Fort Law. Oh, the law. The law. When they hang my husband, is that just? Good morning and welcome to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 93.0 FM. Today on the show, we'll be featuring a live interview with Catherine Latimer, the Executive Director of the John Howard Society of Canada. We'll also be sharing a brief interview from Rust Belt Abolition Radio about settler colonialism and prisons in Los Angeles. But first, some news. Last week, a riot took place inside the dining halls, kitchen, storage areas, staff offices, and a vocational area at the Crossroads Correctional Center, uh, were da- uh, which were damaged in the Saturday night, Sunday morning incident, said Karen Bodgman, a corrections department spokeswoman. It started at 8.10 p.m. when 209 inmates refused to return their ho- to their housing units. They were upset that staffing shortages have led to less time for recreation and other programming, Bodgman said. After 131 of the inmates surrendered, staff vacated the building. 
The last 78 prisoners caused the damage before order was restored about 2 a.m. Sunday. The prison houses about 1,400 medium and maximum security inmates. Cameron is about 270 miles northwest of St. Louis. The dining halls, kitchens, storage areas, staff offices, and a vocational area at the Crossroads Correctional Center were damaged in the incident. The riot began when over 200 prisoners refused to return to their housing units on Saturday night. The prison radio show received a statement by one of the prisoners involved calling for outside support. The prisoners are also announcing a work strike plan for August 21st. Quote, my homies call me Tiny G from Crossroads C, Missouri, a place known in here as the only destination for hell. We send G-Love to all the homies standing up. We had no demands here at Crossroads. Inmates of every race participated. We only wanted them to allow rehabilitation programs and back recreation time. The Director of Corrections, Anne L. Presythe, has not heard our words to be treated right in years. Staff acted like we were kids to be punished. The admin wants all the Gs to kill each other, like in South Carolina. This allows staff to justify locking inmates down for money raises. Inmates do not hurt the staff intentionally. Staff know how badly inmates here are being treated. All the Gs here will be joining with other inmates to strike on August 21st throughout the state. Staff already know. August 21st was written on the walls. We are calling on all Gs to join us as one around the nation on August 21st. Stage more sit-ins. Make peace for this. The Gs here are contacting our lines in other states. Gs are being transferred in state and placed on lockdown. Here at Crossroads, inmates are being denied medical attention, showers, access to the law library, visitation, and, vis- and f- feeding on time. Our meals consist of bags of green bologna and hard biscuits. Can you call to ask why we are not getting hot meals, showers, medical, and access to the law library for court deadlines? Staff say we may be like this for two months. Here is the address to voice your concerns. Anne L. Presythe, Director of Corrections, 2729 Plaza Drive, P.O. Box 236, Jefferson City, Missouri, 65102. And the phone number is 573 573- Seven five one two three eight nine. The Canadian federal government launched its most recent justice reform bill last month, while four members of the Canadian Senate, the four members of the Canadian Senate, also held a public hearing on prison reform at the Black Cultural Centre in Cherry Brook, Nova Scotia. The Montreal Gazette is reporting that over the last decade, there, the number of women in Canada's jails has spiked thirty percent, despite there being no evidence of increased. Criminality. The article went on to cite a recent Senate Open Caucus meeting where a panel of experts talked about the factors at play in the increase of women in prison, including poverty, tough-on-crime laws introduced in the last decade, and a security classification system that overestimates risk and places women unnecessarily in maximum security and segregation, where access to programs is limited. According to Vice News, during the month of June, two Canadian prisons will start offering needle exchange programs behind prison walls. Renu in New Brunswick and the Grand Valley Institute will be the first federal prisons to start the program. The Criminalization and Punishment Education Project is calling on the Ontario government to halt the $1 billion expansion of the Ottawa-Carleton Detention Centre. The group held a demonstration last month outside of a politician's meeting, calling for for better community support for people charged with crimes. A year ago, Ontario announced that Ottawa and Thunder Bay would get bigger jails after years of overcrowding in the current jails. The group is advancing NOPE, 
no Ottawa prison expansion, and yes, yes to education and social services, vision for our communities, not jail expansion. They say the problem lies in putting too many people in jail in the first place, as most of the prisoners at OCDC are awaiting trial, not serving sentences. Known as Illegal Toronto and the End Immigration Detention Network held a court support rally yesterday morning at Osgood Hall in Toronto, demanding freedom for Ibrahim Tour. Ibrahim Tour has been in detention for five years and is currently Canada's longest-serving immigration prisoner. He's in a medium-security prison for allegedly bootlegging CDs and selling them at a flea market. Demonstrators offered tulips to Ibrahim because tulips symbolize spring and a collective desire for freedom. The federal government of Canada is fighting to keep Ibrahim Tour and other migrants in jail. The court case is about fighting endless detention. For more information, visit nooneisillegal.org. Last month in Saint-Henri, an anti-construction crew released thousands of crickets into an immigration prison's architecture firm's headquarters. An anonymous group released the insects into the newly built headquarters of the Montreal architecture company LeMay. LeMay, along with Quebec City-based company Group Group A, has been awarded a contract to build the new immigration detention center in Laval, a suburb of Montreal. It is slated to open in 2020. A state, in a statement, the group responsible for the action says, We oppose borders, prisons, and immigration detention centers. We struggle for a world where people are free to stay free and free to move, a world without white supremacy, capitalism, colonialism, and patriarchy. We see the release of these crickets as merely the beginning of a concerted effort to stop the new immigration detention center from being built. The new immigration detention center in Laval has been proposed as part of a liberal government overhaul of the immigration changes. Uh, $122 million will be spent on building two new immigration detention facilities, one in Laval and one in Surrey. One in Surrey and upgrading an already existing detention center in Toronto. The stated reason for this change is that the current detention centers are not up to the international standards. The government claims that they also want to move away from detention and towards alternatives toward detention.
grace now still resides in Lucasville. The convict race now still resides in Lucasville. The convict race now still resides in Lucasville. The convict race now still resides in Lucasville. That was the song Lucasville by the band Blackbird Rom. Next up, we'll be joined live on the phone by Catherine Latimer, the executive director of the John Howard Society of Canada. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Prison Radio Show. Catherine? Up, no makeup, have naked, I feel like I'm the shit. Pardon my language, but hang-ups do not define the kid. No, I'm not flawless, I'm scarred up and I'm fine with it. My body are the laundry list of all of life's unkindnesses, but I still sip tea and chant home and live free, cause hardships and heartbreaks turn to rap epiphanies. And mom told me stay woke, cause all gold ain't glistening. Choose your words wisely, cause the all-knowing's listening. But no worries, I'm Gucci, my thighs are low juicy, my dialogue low awkward, my idols still move me, my life is a movie like Raheem and Mookie I'm just trying to do the right thing Hope that it improves me My bamboos are costume to me You'll be soon to costume to me This tomorrow I got royal hemoglobin coursing through me And my strength is now inhuman I get that straight from my umbi Signed in silk from out the grill of yours and truly You better shine on them baby you a star You better be exactly who you are Forever Cause they gon' try and change your heart Don't let up Cause you're so damn fine Just the way you, you better are. shine on them baby you a star overnight. I was in that mirror like four or five times a week on my Malabies reciting affirmations like holy rites and I still don't know everything. But I guess confessions from 8 by 11s in studio sessions seem like it's only right. And trust me, this my therapy. Fuck your couch. Finna murk all these Murphy types. Funny style. Let me shut your mouth. Touch me. I'm slaughtering crews, squads, goons, teams. The queen is coming to rule your region. Coming for all of your asses plus your house. I ain't always have it in me. No titles for pretending. I was 14 years old forcing pills down my throat. So my baby fat diminished. Still got these scars from cutting my wrist when I thought the life was finished. Now they remind me what my lows look like. Now I know the sky's the limit. Okay. Never claim to be perfect. That's an Possible dream. I'm just saying that I'm worth it. That's the responsible thing. It's been half my life trying to find my life from outside sources. Why the only voice that mattered came from me. You better shine on them, baby. You a star. You better be exactly who you are forever. Cause they gon' try and change your heart. Don't let up. Cause you 
rock go in, she too aggressive, that's too masculine And her content low too obsessive, just relax a bit She say she got that's narcissistic, just the facts of it Now nah, I don't really F with female rappers, that's just sacrilege Glad I learned early not to internalize every ink up Daddy told me with every opinion that comes a sphincter And they would rather she them thoughts than popularize a thinker Why them lagging archetypes is chasing cat, them trying to sphinx her Rap barrels can caramello apparel, mainly vintage Metal composer, warrior, so every verse became a vengeance Went through too much hair to not be fine, but they still feigning ignorance So now I came to click my just do but remaining anxious Baby, I'm a star without the flash frame of Fenty Came out the doctor, up the entire game upon my entry Kept it 100, messed around and gained another century In this now I'm aiming to pop off to my mental chambers empty I'm unbothered, your standards is irrelevant I might F around and rock a body, y'all just for the hell of it They've been trying to martyr me for ages cause my melanin So now I'm soaking UV rays with shakers slathered on my abdomen My dude, I'm magic, my game is God is my mood It's savage, that's game, it's Connie's boss move And mountains, my range, astonishing dangerous Sinus like rain and comets, they blazing Trails to planets, all hell, it's kind of amazing That's right, we'll call it self-love Discovered I was dope and indulged like I'm scale drugs And you could call me arrogant and that's gonna help love But if you trying to knock me down, your demolitions fell, bruh, fell, bruh, fell, bruh, fell, fell You better shine on them, baby, you're a star You better be exactly who you are forever Cause they gon' try and change your heart, don't let up Cause you're so damn fine just the way you You better are. shine on them, baby, you're a star You better be exactly who you are forever Sorry about the earlier technical difficulties. Hopefully this time we have actually got Catherine on the phone. Catherine, hello? Catherine? Catherine, are you there? Hello? Hello, hi. I'm here. Can you hear me? Great, hey, yeah. Contact. Okay, sorry about the technical difficulties earlier. Thank no you so much for all. joining us on the Prison Radio Show. Um, My pleasure. So, I guess uh, to start off with, could you explain to our listeners what the John Howard Society is and what you all do? Sure. The John Howard Society is a charity that is committed to just, effective, and humane um, justice and correction systems. So we spend a lot of time, actually, our our main work is supporting people coming out of prisons and reintegrating into the community. Okay, thanks. And um, so early last week, the John Howard Society sent around an advocacy request for an individual who served time in the prison system in Canada and who's now facing deportation. Can you uh, talk a bit about his case? Yes, I'd be happy to do so. This uh, this uh, prisoner's name is um, Vincenzo James De Maria, who goes by Jimmy De Maria, mm-hmm. and he was on parole uh, in the community for 20 years when he was breached in, first in uh, 2009, but most recently in 2013 for an alleged association offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically. 
the question is the use of police intelligence and how that makes people vulnerable who are on a parole because the standards of evidence are considerably less than you would need in order to actually launch new charges to police. Mm -hmm. So the tendency, there's a possibility that they would use deportation and um, parole hearings in order to do indirectly what they couldn't do directly. So they are of the view that Mr. Di Maria is a member of traditional organized crime. Uh, but he's been under close surveillance for probably 20 years, and they have never brought charges for any kind of criminal association offense, or for that matter, for any kind of criminal offense, uh, since he has been on parole. And yet they have attempted uh, twice now to breach his parole on the basis of this involvement with organized crime. So the first happened in 2009, and uh, the parole board looked at the evidence that was being presented by the police and found that it was not uh, persuasive uh, or credible, and so they restored his parole. But they came at it again in 2013, and they did breach his parole, alleging that he had attended two family weddings for which he had received prior authorization from his parole officer. Uh, and then they breached him because they said he was um, associated with um, known criminals at the wedding. So he was placed, in, I guess it took him, uh, he challenged the initial decision and went up all the way to the federal court, and they determined that his due process rights were breached in the initial um, parole suspension and revocation, and they should have a new parole hearing. So two and a half years later, he gets a new parole hearing, and they determined that, yes, the information suggesting that he breached by attending two family weddings was not um, adequate or persuasive, but they did find that there was evidence to suggest or information to suggest that he was involved in um, money laundering and other shady business practices, uh, and so and, and connected with organized crime. So they they uh, revoked his parole again. So he's now been in there for probably five years, and they brought a deportation hearing or allegations against him, um, which are again premised largely on police intelligence uh, that he is a member of organized crime. And I would just argue that uh, police intelligence has been known to be um, a dangerous basis on which to deny people rights. Um, so, uh, for example, just recently, uh, the Minister of Public Safety has told his operating agencies to be very careful about the use of intelligence um, in the denial of rights. And this was in connection with... Um, uh, a RAR case where he was subjected to uh, rendition. Um, also, uh, Professor Kent Roach at the University of Toronto has raised very serious concerns about what is intelligence and what is evidence. Intelligence should or should not be used uh, to deal with people's, uh, revoke people's residual liberties. In this case, um, finally, when he was uh, facing deportation hearing, you began to hear a little bit of what the information was that the police were, were relying on. And in the testimony, it became clear that the lead investigator had not even read the intelligence reports uh, out of Italy that he was relying on uh, that shaped his belief 
that Mr. Di Maria was involved in traditional organized crime. Um, from our perspective, Mr. Di Maria seems to be subject to consistent intrusions on his due process protections. Uh, I mean, if they have a case to bring against him, I mean, lay the charges and bring it forward. If they don't, then I worry about them using deportation and parole hearings to achieve what they can't do uh, directly, mm-hmm. uh, doing it in, in an indirect manner. So we would really like the whole circumstances around this case to be thoroughly investigated and brought forward. In the last 10 years, the federal government has passed laws making it easier to deport permanent residents who have been sentenced to more than six months in jail. Uh, Here in Montreal, uh, groups like Solidarity Across Borders and No One is Illegal have drawn attention to this situation, calling it double punishment. Can you talk about the John Howard Society's understanding of this situation, who's affected, and how these laws are working in practice? Um, A lot more uh, people are being deported now. Um, and it really raises some interesting concerns. Mr. Maria, for example, came to Canada when he was six months old. Um, oftentimes, these people, their entire socialization, their upbringing, everything is with the Canadian context. It is um, really in, in, in any really to their country of citizenship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so deportation seems like a very unfair thing to do when, if in fact there is some sort of problem, it's a Canadian issue. Uh, so it's an abdication responsibility uh, to be deporting people when these people are for all intents and purposes um, Canadians and it's a Canadian issue may have led to conflict with the law. Solidarity Across Borders and Known as Illegal have both called for an end to deportations and double punishment. Can you talk about what the John Howard Society is hoping to see in terms of changes to the situation facing some permanent residents in Canada and how we can bring an end to double punishment for migrants? Um, our view is certain that this really needs to be looked at. That deportation as a tool in the criminal justice system is, is sometimes warranted, but often not warranted. And I think you need really to have a case-by-case approach to it. And if the person certainly is has been, uh, you know, raised in, in Canada and any kind of um, conflict with, with the law or any allegations of conflict with the law are stemming from a Canadian context, it doesn't make any sense at all to be deporting them. Mm-hmm. But I think that that whole issue needs to be... Uh, needs to be reviewed, and there needs to be policy guidance on on when and where uh, deportations are appropriate. That's uh, all for my questions. Thank you so much for coming on the Prison Radio Show. Can I just raise one thing while I've got you on the line? Uh, And that has to do with administrative segregation issues in Donnacona. There are a couple of prisoners who've been there for more than a lot longer than 15 days and have not had their due process rights respected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is also something that needs some attention, Absolutely. particularly Jamal Desmond, who alleges that he was uh, pushed down a flight of stairs on his way to administrative segregation and is quite anxious to get the videotapes of that incident. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if you could if you could shine a light on that issue as well, I think that would be most helpful. We'll certainly do our best to uh, to talk about that on the show uh, in future episodes. Thanks for bringing uh, thanks for bringing that up. Okay, thank okay. you very much. Thank you so much. Okay, all the best. Thank you. That was Catherine Latimer, the Executive Director of the John Howard Society of Canada. You're listening to The Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM, 91.7 on cable, and www.ckut.ca. 
My name is Kelly Lytle Hernandez, and I'm a professor of history and African American studies at UCLA. And I research issues of immigration, race, and the carceral state in the United States. I am also a prison abolitionist. I believe firmly that we can build a world in which we do not punish or suppress one another via carceral systems. You just sketched out the centrality of the settled colonial state in the incarceration boom in Los Angeles, what you call the city of inmates, in a very concise way. One of the key ways certain people within the abolitionist movement have thought about the incarceration boom in the mid to late 20th century is with the framework of racial capitalism. Can you tell us about what racial capitalism means for you in relation to the construction of the city of inmates and the ways in which the framework of settled colonialism and this project of elimination shifts, or not, how we think about abolition and carcerality in the United States? Well, of course, when we talk about racial capitalism, for me, we're talking about Cedric Robinson and his extraordinary work about how capitalism and white supremacy were born and raised together and constitute one another, that you cannot have a capitalist state without a state of racial repression, that that's how profit and exploitation are created. For me, in this book, I want to put the theory of settler colonialism into conversation with what we know about racial capitalism and the rise of mass incarceration. So we have a long and deep literature now documenting, making it indisputably clear that racial capitalism is at play in our jails and our prison systems. This is best exemplified in the American South in the post-emancipation period when African Americans were targeted for incarceration and then put onto chain gangs or leased out to private employers. What I am doing in this book is putting that history into conversation with the dynamics of removing an indigenous community from a land base to get access to the basis of capital accumulation, the land, and tracking it over time that not only is indigenous removal about land expropriation, but it's about occupation and that's ongoing and constant and it remains today. So that as you have the rise of racial capitalism within the carceral state, you also have the dynamics of an ongoing occupation that shape the tensions and the objectives of policing and incarceration. Labor exploitation is always at play. So too is the settler fantasy of eradicating and removing, i.e. eliminating, indigenous and racialized communities. Can you give an overview of the constant threat of criminalization, whether wielded against native landholders or poor white men in homosocial groups of hobos and tramps, up through black families coming after emancipation, often, as you describe, on foot, to California, where they encounter sudden panic in the urgency to draw what W.E.B. Du Bois calls the color line, and the codes that are perpetually being written to define and contain each of these groups who defy the reproductive white settler ideal of what Los Angeles is supposed to be? Well, I think you just outlined it very well, but we can do it together. So what this book does is it traces the major trends in incarceration in Los Angeles, really between the 1840s, 1850s, and the 1950s, 1960s. And those trends change over time according to who is regarded as the threat to the settler city. So in the beginning, the principal threat to the settler city are indigenous communities who are asserting their sovereignty, um, which they had maintained for thousands of years, and here come these new colonists. And so they were the principal targets of criminalization, largely through public order charges, vagrancy, public drunkenness, disorderly conduct, those kinds of charges, really loose charges. 
That changes, however, by the turn of the 20th century when you have the rise of corporate capitalism and land consolidation that dislocates large numbers of white men who begin to migrate across the country. They go to Chicago, they go to New York. Many of them come to the American West to work in the seasonal and extractive industries. Well, the American West is a region of the country that was claimed in the name of white heterosexual settler men. And when you had large numbers of white men who were migrating constantly throughout the region, who were engaging in homosocial and homosexual sexual relations and who simply refused to settle down and buy native land and sort of comply with the settler ideal, they were the new racial threat. And so they became the targets of criminalization and incarceration, again, through these very vague vagrancy codes in particular. As Chinese immigration surges into the settler West, they also become targets. That becomes a little bit distinct, however, because you have the emergence of a federal system of immigration control that is really created to control Chinese immigration into the United States. Deportation was invented as a tactic and technique of expelling Chinese immigrants from the United States. And that's part of the story that I tell. As Mexican immigration rises into the settler West, they too become targets of immigration. Again, you have the use of immigration control as a means of managing Mexican labor in the region and exporting Mexican people out of the region. And of course, as African Americans moved West, there was no vision for African American settlement in the American West. And one Blacks pushed West against the vision of Manifest Destiny. We too became the targets of a brutal carceral campaign, not just to lock us up, but to remove us from the region. And I would argue you're seeing that still happen today in the city, in the battles that are happening in Skid Row, the blackest community in all of L.A. The settler state is doing its best to purge poor black folks from the city by aggressively policing Skid Row. Are there ways in which you want to appeal to movements to embrace this lens through which you're looking at incarceration as part of the settler colonial project when it comes to the question of abolition and the abolitionist horizon? I think I I want us to continue to think seriously within the movement about land and occupation, not just of urban communities, right, the police force as an occupying force, as James Baldwin told us, but from the origins of that occupation of the indigenous communities and lands that remain occupied to this day. And what does that mean for how we pursue our liberation projects? I just want us to continue that conversation. I don't know what the answer is. But we need to be in open and honest conversation with our Indigenous brothers and sisters about our shared destiny in this place. We really appreciate your work. Thank you for joining us today. Appreciate you. Thank you. Fernandez tells us that incarceration is elimination. We cannot challenge the entirety of the carceral state and racial capitalism without simultaneously grappling with the logic of conquest that is foundational to settler colonialism. If we strive toward the abolition of all walls and cages, borders of all kinds, then our struggle must also take seriously the destruction of the settler colonial state. That was an interview with Professor Kelly Little Hernandez, an abolitionist writer and professor of history and African-American studies at the University of California, Los Angeles. Professor Little Hernandez discussed her latest book, City of Inmates, Conquest, Rebellion, and the Rise of Human Caging in Los Angeles and the Connections Between Settler Colonialism, the Prison System, and White Supremacy and Capitalism. It, that was aired on Rust Belt Abolition Radio back in December. To hear the entire episode of the Rust Belt Abolition podcast, check out rustbeltabolition.org.
CKUT will be broadcasting live from the Anarchist Book Fair on Saturday, May 26th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Tune in or join us at CETA in Little Burgundy for a reflection on 30 years of radicalizing the airwaves. We will be speaking to past CKUT news coordinators about the evolution of the news department and the events that shaped it. Catch these previous CKUT news coordinators in conversation about the issues, the struggles, the victories, the losses, and the general chaos of running a community news department at CKUT. That's Saturday, May 26th, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Anarchist Book Fair, or right here on CKUT 90.3 FM. The 12th edition of the OFF-TA Live Arts Festival offers its most daring programming. Taking place from May 25th to June 3rd, enjoy 10 days of discoveries in theater, dance, performance, and new artist practices. Come celebrate the diversity of Montreal's emerging scene. For full details about the 12th edition and to discover the Rush Pass, check us out on Facebook or visit OFFTA.com. We are the Alusa Nation. We have been called the Indians. We have been called Native Americans. Yeti, ¿qué te pasó? Ya, pasa, pasa, pasa. Deje eso ahí. Lo traí de que tenía mejor ahí en el peor momento. Bueno, ya está acá. Como verás, esta casa está hecho un chiquero. Parte por los baños. Las cosas del aseo están debajo del lavaplato. Cambié las sábanas después que están en el closet de la entrada. Pedro Pablo, mi marido. Bueno, no lo escucha. Lo que tienes que hacer tú es aseo profundo. ¿Mm? Es que viene una gran artista canadiense. Lido, Dido. Bueno, es que nosotros apoyamos la cultura. ¿Mm? Nos gusta apoyar a estos artistas, a esta gente creativa. Bueno, pero... Tienes todo claro, ¿no es cierto? Cualquier cosa me manda un WhatsApp. Yo estoy siempre conectada. ¿Mm? Ojo que hay cámaras. Voy a almorzar. You, you, everything I did for you, you, all the hardship we went through, through, I'll do it all again for you, you, from the beginning for you.
the song The Light 2. That was the song The Light 2 featuring Lido Pimienta from A Tribe Called Red. Up next we'll be sharing a short piece from Rust Belt Abol- uh, sorry, up next we'll be sharing an excerpt of Mumia Abu-Jamal reading from his book Murder Incorporated, Empire, Genocide, and Manifest Destiny, Dreaming of Empire, Book 1. This excerpt is called The Colony, He Helped Found, and you can find it online at prisonradio.org. Murder Incorporated Dreaming of Empire Book 1 By Mumia Abu-Jamal And Stephen Vittoria The colony he helped found The colony he helped create Did not hesitate to execute Quakers Or go medieval On those considered to be witches Slavery was cool too And according to the Puritan ethic of the time, slavery was condoned in the professed holy book and not perceived as a slight against God, just a few extra hands around the house, you know? Sure, Africans were already enslaved in the neighborhood when Winthrop showed up, but he clearly supported the practice as governor, writing the very first law on the American continent, sanctioning the enslavement of Africans. In fact, Winthrop enjoyed wheeling and dealing in the slave trade, especially after the Pequot War, 1634-1638, when the Massachusetts Bay Colony, led by Winthrop, enslaved many of the captured Pequot Indians. But the captured warriors, who weren't taking this shit lying down, were still freaking out the good church folk. So Winthrop traded these insurgents for cotton and tobacco and Negroes. Now the Winthrops, who wanted to keep up with the Joneses, also needed some help around the house, so they kept three Pequot slaves for themselves. American exceptionalism and Christendom at its absolute best. Indeed, a shining city on the hill. Vacuum domicilium, or no man's land. Anders Stevenson, professor of history at Columbia University, and the author of a remarkable discourse on the foundation of American empire, 
entitled Manifest Destiny, American Expansion and the Empire of Right, makes a powerful case regarding the molten core of Europe's religious drive to conquer and colonize the Americas. For Europeans, land not occupied by recognized members of Christendom was theoretically land free to be taken. When practically possible, they did so. The Christian colonizers of the Americas, including the Spanish and the Portuguese, understood theirs as sacred enterprises. But only the New England Puritans conceived the territory itself as sacred. This, then, was the New Canaan, a land promised to be reconquered and reworked for the glory of God by his select forces, the saving remnant in the wilderness. Charged with the dominion of providence, the European settlers, read occupiers, engaged in a practice known as vacuum domicilium, also known by another Latin term, terra nullius, which is derived from Roman law and translates to land belonging to no one or no man's land. Initially, many of the first colonists attempted to acquire the title to the land they occupied, but quickly abandoned that practice as it was considered an attempt to respect sovereignty and instead embrace the notion that law is politics by other means. Embarking on an all-out land grab via vacuum domicilium, if the property is not in active use, then it's simply free for the taking. So if the terrain was used seasonally by the indigenous population for farming, hunting, or fishing, and appears barren, too bad. The occupiers can simply claim the land. In fact, the colonizers made a straightforward, God-inspired rule. The rights of civilized Christians superseded the rights of the hunter-gatherers, heathens, and savages. The Protestant Reformation, Christianity's 16th century schism between the Roman Catholic Church and early Protestant reformers led by John Calvin and Martin Luther, laid the necessary foundation for biblical prophecy to be used as the spiritual motivation for the occupation of this new Israel, as well as the eventual removal of, as Jefferson and Franklin later defined them, savages. Stevenson suggests, the book of Revelation, in short, made sense to English Protestants in general and Puritans in particular. It allowed the Reformation to be interpreted as either a moment on the way to Armageddon or even as the battle itself. Surely, it could not have been an accident either that God had unveiled this new world, this new continent, hidden for so many ages, precisely at the moment when the process of purification had begun in the old world. And this process of purification was happening everywhere in the Americas. Stevenson continues, Every activity, personal and communal, was irreducibly part of the holy war against Satan and his infidels. The aristocracy of saints had to work ceaselessly at this critical moment to make the present world as solemnly and gloriously Christian as it could be. The Puritans, true to their name, placed tremendous weight on always defining who was inside and who was outside when it came to their communal existence. 
The message to the heathens outside was, in this respect, as radical as St. Paul's, see the light or perish in eternal damnation. In the Virginia colony at the time, John Rolfe, when he wasn't busy cultivating and exploring tobacco and then marrying Pocahontas, Christianizing her, and changing her name to Rebecca, fortified the English occupiers of Virginia as a peculiar people, marked and chosen by the finger of God. From John Winthrop through Benjamin Franklin, almost 200 years later, American exceptionalism went viral, providing the necessary pretext and justification to exterminate the indigenous population at will until every last uncivilized, bestial, non-literate, undomesticated, feral, vicious, and barbarous savage was roadkill. First, let's hear from Winthrop regarding a smallpox epidemic that had wiped out the area's Indian population in the 1630s, something Winthrop viewed as divine intervention. God hath consumed the natives with a miraculous plague. Next, from the city of brotherly love, we hear from Ben Franklin regarding how rum was being utilized by God Almighty to help soften up the savages for the big kill. The appointed means by which the design of providence to extirpate those savages in order to make room for the cultivators of the earth. This escalating myth of being the chosen people cultivators of a new promised land, a new Israel, became an integral premise in America's bloated self-interpretation. Samuel Langdon, colonial American clergyman and president of Harvard University from 1774 until 1780, was a typical cheerleader for American exceptionalism during the twilight years of the 18th century when he preached at Concord, New Hampshire. We cannot but acknowledge that God hath graciously patronized our cause and taken us under his special care as he did his ancient covenant people. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. On Thursday, June 7th, join us for a festive mass demonstration against the G7, capitalism, patriarchy, colonialism, racism, and borders. Let's speak out against the environmental destruction caused by the relentless exploitation of natural resources. Because our world can and must be better for everyone who lives in it and for generations to come. Démontrons-leur notre volonté de combattre ces systèmes injustes tant qu'il le faudra. Le Canada colonial et patriarcal et l'échec clôture de la honte sur des terres autochtones l'ont cédé pour permettre aux dirigeants du G7 de se réunir à la Malbaie. Tout comme il impose aux communautés autochtones ses frontières et son découpage territorial depuis plus de 500 ans. Ne les laissons pas faire à la part et à l'imposition de ce système. Répondons par la lutte, la dignité et la solidarité entre les peuples. That's Thursday, June 7th, 2018, at 6 p.m. Au Parc des Braves, 750 Chemin Sainte-Foy, Québec. Join us for a mass demonstration against the G7 and to open the borders. Et nous diffuserons, à partir des manifestations contre les G7 à Québec, les 7 et 8 juin 2018, sur Off the Hour, entre 17h et 18h, between 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. In collaboration with Infomedia and Media Libre. 
down with capitalist exploitation, colonialism, and racist and sexist politics. It is currently 11.56. You're listening to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM, 91.7 on cable, and online at www.ckut.ca. On Sunday, June 17th, from 2 to 6 p.m., join Running Down the Walls, Run, walk, bike, or roll for political prisoners and prisoners of war. All imprisonment is political. The event will be held at the Lachine Canal near the Atwater footbridge. Just look for the Running Down the Walls banner. Running Down the Walls is a fundraiser to support political prisoners and prisoners of war, as well as all who are facing incarceration. Remember that many of those arrested in the past or present are not far from us. Many of them were and are community organizers, queer and environmental activists, people who decided to speak out against the various forms of oppression and paid the price of freedom for their actions. Any one of these people could have at one time been beside us in a demonstration, event, or organizing meeting. At any moment, it could be us who find ourselves in this situation. So it is imperative that we ensure a strong community of support exists for these comrades as well as ourselves. The strength of our movement is determined by how much we support our imprisoned comrades as we collectively fight for a better world. All imprisonment is political. Remember, too, that in addition to people imprisoned for actions specifically recognized as political, every form of detention is a political one. From immigration detention centers to involuntary psychiatric holds, from racial profiling to imprisonment of indigenous land defenders, any form of incarceration is political. Whether being targeted for specific actions or simply for just daring to exist, the forces that oppress us seek to contain us physically and otherwise. These people are our friends, parents, siblings, children, lovers, neighbors, comrades. At any moment, it could be many of us who find ourselves incarcerated. So it is imperative that we ensure a strong community of support exists for those who are in prison as well as ourselves. None are free until all are free. If you want to get involved with running down the walls, you can participate in the following ways. You can be a runner, cyclist, walker, roller, or just come cheer on folks who are doing any of those things. We're asking people or groups who are participating to collect as many sponsors as possible. You can also sponsor a participant. This can be done through a flat donation to the participant or participants of your choice. You can donate online to one of the more f one or more of the following groups that Running Down the Walls is a fundraiser for. The Anarchist Black Cross Federation War Chest to support political prisoners and prisoners of war, which can be found at abcf.net slash warchest dash program. Uh, the other two organizations that Running Down the Walls will be fundraising for is the First People's Justice Centre of Montreal, which can be found at justicemontreal.ca, and Continuité Familiale Auprès des Détenus, CFAD, which can be found at cfad.ca. For more information or to get involved, contact rdtw underscore mtl at riseup.net. Check out past episodes of the Prison Radio Show at Prison Radio Show. Dot wordpress.com you can also follow us on twitter at prison radio show prison radio show airs twice a month on ckut we're on the air on the second thursday of the month at 5 p.m and the fourth friday at 11 a.m the next prison radio show will air on thursday june 14th at 5 p.m if you have any questions on anything that you have heard on today's show or if you wish to be involved with the show feel free to contact us at prison at ckut.ca <laughs>